good morning, Whitneyville Bible Church. Will you please stand and worship this morning with us? I know how 
I'm getting a pretty good driver. <laughs> good morning, everybody. Welcome this morning to Whitneyville Bible. Um, first of all, if you're a first-time guest or somebody that's new to the church, um, if you would, we have these Lex, Lex, Let's Connect cards. Um, they're in the seat in front of you. If you would fill one out, you can put it in the offering plate or there's a box uh, back on the sound booth back there. Thanks for that. Oh, and guess what? We have a nice gift for you, too. Okay. Um, just an FYI, our Spartan Nash receipt program is done. Uh, they've ended that program, so there's no need uh, to bring in your receipts from DNW or any other Spartan stores. Women's ministry event, ladies' night out. Ladies, you're invited for a night out for food and fellowship, Friday, March 10th at 6 p.m., Tokyo Buffet Grill in Wyoming. Dinner costs about $18 a person. Um, you can sign up in the foyer if you plan to attend. And if you are needing a ride or wish to carpool, uh, please indicate that on the sign-up sheet. All right, ladies, there's something else. Uh, family cookbook. So the women's ministry is encouraging everyone to submit your favorite recipe. The collection box is located on the kiosk. All recipes must be submitted by March 12th. And uh, the deacons would like to sample each one. So. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Detroit Tigers home plate. Uh, that's June 10th. The event starts at 9.30, game is at 1.10 p.m. It's a lot of fun, a lot of, a lot of people went last year and uh, really enjoyed the day. Um, so if you'd like to attend, cost is $35 per person. The money is due on April 2nd. Uh, more information regarding transportation and the event will be coming. And the last announcement is um, Vacation Bible School 2023. It's called Keepers of the Kingdom. We're running it from June 19th through the 23rd. We're looking for volunteers, so please sign up at the kiosk if you're interested or if you'd like more info. Uh, see Deb Wazinski with any questions. So that's it for those. Let's do our Bible reading for this morning. We're going to Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Those are awesome words. Uh, one other thing quickly, I'm sorry, but it is two offering day. It's the first Sunday of the month. Um, so our general offering is first and our mission offering is second. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for such a beautiful day that you've given us today. We thank you that we are able to come, come and worship you. We pray, Father, that uh, our hearts would be open to you. We pray, Father, that this church, Whitneyville Bible, would reflect your love to those around us, to each other, to our community, and beyond, Lord. We just pray that uh, we would have your heart and reflect you to others. Lord, we come to you with many requests. We lift up Anna Grison, Lord, and just pray that you would continue to bless her. We pray that her biopsies would continue to come back clean. Uh, we're so thankful, Lord, for the healing that you've given her. Lord, and we think of Barb Davis. We ask that you would be with her as she continues to improve. Uh, her, saint, her pain seems to be less, Lord, but her dementia is progressing. So we just ask that you would be with her and help her to have great days, Lord. Lord, and we're thankful for Judy Hebecki that... Uh, She's been fine to come back to church, and we just pray, Lord, that her test results would be fine on her heart. Lord, we want to lift up Lauren Barry this morning. Um, they did take the baby a week ago, and uh, he is in the NICU unit. Um, he is, uh, his oxygen is fine now. He's breathing on his own. Um, the feeding tube, they're starting to feed him with a bottle, but he's still using the feeding tube. So we just pray you would continue to improve him. Uh, Lauren had her first chemo treatment Monday, and uh, it went well, Lord, but her struggle is she can't hold any of her kids for 48 hours. So we just ask for comfort and strength for her, strength for her family, and uh, that you would just bless them, Father. Keep them in your hand. Lord, we want to pray this morning for our Bible Blast workers. Lord, we're so thankful for the people in our church that uh, step up to teach our youth. Lord, we're so concerned about our youth today learning the Bible and having a biblical worldview as they look at what's going on. So we're thankful for our teachers, Lord. We're thankful for our children. We just pray, Lord, that you would continue to build our teachers up and that you would give our kids open hearts to learn and study your word. Father, we want to pray for the Ottawa City Chapel, Center Chapel. Uh, we pray, Lord, for Pastor Bob Porterfield and the Ottawa Chapel in Coopersville and just ask, Lord, that you would uh, help them to nurture maturing believers at home and around the world. It's a great ministry, Lord, and we just ask you to bless it. Father, we lift up Fred and Rebecca McCumbo. Lord, they... They need your help, and we just pray that you would continue to give uh, Fred wisdom as he uh, manages through 18 churches and just uh, the School of Hallelujah with Rebecca, Lord, and all that they're doing over there. We pray that they would have the food they need for the children, the books, that they can afford to also pay the teachers uh, that are there at the school, Father. We ask that you would be with our children, Abigail and Caleb, and just pray that you would uh, bless their work. Father, I also want to lift up our weekly family this week. We have Brian and Jetty Hannon. We just ask that you would be with them, that you would keep their hearts on you. 
We pray for all the girls, Lord, for Emma and Haley, for Izzy and Olivia and Sophia, Lord. We just ask that you would uh, work in their young lives, that you would keep them close to you, that they would be uh, strong Christians, Father, and able to defend the faith. Father, we pray for Jonathan this morning as he gets ready to preach. We pray that our hearts are in tune with the word. We pray that you would lay it on our hearts, that each one of us, each one of us would be ready to defend your word, that we would live our lives, that show others that we're different. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We pray, Father, for our offering now. We ask that you would bless it. We pray that it would be used to glorify your name. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Higher than the mountains that I face Stronger than the power of the grave Constant in the trial and the change one thing remains one
Welcome you here, Lord Jesus. 
the price of a servant's good and faithful. As saints of old still line the way, retelling triumphs of His grace, we hear the calls and hunger for the day when with Christ. for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope.
Thank you, worship team, for leading us so well this morning. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to the New Testament book of Jude, next to the last book in the Bible. We're going to let the boys and girls go to Bible Blast. While you're finding your way to the book of Jude, just want to mention a couple of things. Uh, just to remind you that next Sunday is Time Change Sunday. So we spring forward, spring forward, all right, so don't forget that. And then I just want to remind the men of our church uh, that Pastor Dan is going to be leading a study of the book called The Mature Man, Our Goal of Christ-like Maturity. It's written by David DeWitt, and it's an excellent follow-up to our men's conference, and even if you weren't able to be at the men's conference, this is just an excellent opportunity to learn how to walk the way Christ wants us to walk as men at home, at work, in our community, at church, in every aspect you can imagine. It's an excellent, excellent study. I want to encourage you guys to sign up. There's a place to do that out uh, at the kiosk. And then uh, I want to be sure to bring greetings to you from Whitneyville South. Uh, Sherry and Connor, I left on Monday morning and uh, we spent the week down in Florida uh, Tuesday, we had the large gathering with all of the, not all of them, but the, all the folks that could make it to our uh, Whitneyville South uh, gathering. It was just great to get caught up with the different folks and hear what's going on in their lives there in Florida and in their families, to catch them up on some of the things that are happening here. You need to know that the folks down there are praying for you uh, by name and uh, praying for the things that they know to pray about. So they love you and miss you and wanted to make sure that we sent their uh, sent their love and greetings back here to you all. So that was wonderful. And then uh, on Wednesday, I must confess, it was a day of R&R, &R, and we did go to the Detroit Spring Training Camp, and we got to watch the Detroit Tigers win. <laughs> yeah, baby. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we did some other visiting on Thursday and Friday, and then we came home yesterday. So it was a short trip, but a great trip. And so uh, the weather wasn't that great. It was only in the 80s. So... All right, so we're in the book of Jude. I want to encourage you to turn there and meet me there in the book of Jude, the New Testament book of Jude. As we continue our uh, sermon series, we started last week. This is the second uh, sermon in this series, uh, Sound the Alarm, a survival manual for the church. This book is, this little booklet. So let's take a look at Jude. This is God's Word. I'm going to once again read the entire letter. Jude, servant of Jesus Christ. And a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered 
to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains and deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet, when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, He did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things, they're destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion." These people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. They're shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, look, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly, concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers, Living according to their desires, their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end of time, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit. But you... Dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling... And to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together, please. And so, dear Father, today, as we once again turn our attention to this uh, 
a little letter written by Jude. May it serve as a survival guide to us as we, uh, as we look into it over these next several weeks. Help us to be discerning, to be wise, and to be encouraged and strengthened. Lord, would your word today teach us and guide us into truth, we pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, so today we're going to begin a two-part message, the first part this week and then the next part next week. title of our message today, Know Your Enemy, part one. So we'll pick up part two next week. Now, some people have a rather cynical attitude toward the past. I hope you're not one of them. Uh, one such individual was a fellow by the name of Ambrose Bierce. He was a veteran of the Civil War, a short story writer. That's a short story writer, not a short story writer. Um, he was a journalist, he was a poet, and a bit of a social commentator too. Here are his summary thoughts on the matter of the past and history. History is an account, mostly false, of events mostly unimportant, which are brought about by rulers, mostly knaves, and soldiers, mostly fools. Mm, very cynical attitude toward history, don't you think? History. Here are some more profound perspectives on history from some others. Uh, here's a paraphrase of an original statement by George Hegel. The great lesson of history is that history teaches us nothing. Hmm. Karl Marx, interestingly enough, said history repeats itself first as a tragedy, then as a farce. Hmm. Uh, George Santayana had a very well-known uh, statement. It's been uh, borrowed different ways from different ones. Those who disregard the past are bound to repeat it. Winston Churchill took those words and paraphrased them this way. Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And then Oliver Wendell Holmes, a page of history is worth a volume of logic. Each of these quotes are instructive, and we would do well to give our attention to the merit of their insight. Otherwise, we'll be condemned to make the same tragic mistakes of the past. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to take a, a good look at some people and events of the past today. Uh, as we read through the passage here before us today in Jude, we're going to be focusing on verses 5 uh, through 11. Jude gives us a history lesson. It's a bit of an ugly but necessary business, I must confess. Uh, it would be nice, like Jude said there uh, in verse 3, it would be nice to spend our time talking about the glories of salvation, but this topic is as important and as relevant today as it was for those who first read Jude's little epistle. This historical review will help us know what the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ and his church look like, what they falsely teach, and how they act. If we don't know who they are and what they're like, we will fall victim to their devious, destructive doctrine and deeds and not contend for the faith 
as we are supposed to do. The big idea of our message today, aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Uh, did you see the words at the beginning of verse 5? Jude says to his readers, I want to remind you, you came to know these things once and for all. At the outset, Jude reminds his readers that their reading, studying, and meditating on God's word has already instructed them and warned them about previous defectors from the faith. He reminds them of these things so that they will recognize them when they present themselves to the church of Jesus Christ. So Jude wants them to see both past ungodliness recalled and then present ungodliness exposed. So let's dig into Jude's history lesson. Past ungodliness recalled in verses 5 to 7. Jude starts off by recalling three specific examples of ungodliness. He talks about the nation of Israel, the fallen angels, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the surrounding towns. So together, let's, let's recall Israel's belligerent unbelief. You see that there in verse 5. I trust that you all remember your Old Testament history right here. Uh, the incident to which Jude refers is, of course, the exodus out of Egypt. Uh, it's the defining work of national salvation that God performed for Israel. God miraculously delivered the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egyptian slavery. It's an incredible story. Exodus 12, verse 51. On that same day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. As you read that chapter, you read about that amazing and glorious day. Over in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 34 and 35. Moses is speaking to the people. He says, has a God attempted to go and take a nation as his, as his own out of another nation by trials, signs, and wonders, and war, by a strong hand and an outstretched arm, by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Uh, yes, after God's miraculous deliverance of the nation of Israel out of Egypt, their response, believe it or not, was one of unbelief, disbelief, doubt, defection from their faith in God. Jehovah, the very one who brought them out of Egypt, had committed and promised to bring them into the promised land, but they would not believe him. Uh, that same generation went even further, even further by worshiping a ridiculous idol of their own making as well as murmuring against God instead of worshiping and adoring only him. Again, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16 the nation of Israel is complaining, complaining, complaining to Moses and to God. They don't have the food like they'd like to have. They had such great food back in Egypt as slaves. And it would just be so nice if they could just go back there and be slaves again and have good food. And, blah, 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 blah. and then God, you remember, miraculously provided the manna and the quail 
for the people of Israel the entire time that they wandered through the desert. So every time they had a meal, all they could help but think was the provision of God. Well, you would think that would be impressive to them, but it didn't impress them at all. Exodus 16, 7, you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. For who are we that you complain about us? Moses is speaking, and he's referring to himself and about his brother Aaron. Moses continued, the Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning, for he has heard the complaints that you are raising against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. As Aaron was speaking to the entire Israelite community, they turned toward the wilderness, and there in a cloud, the Lord's glory appeared. The Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Unfortunately, their faith did not linger. And we can cite many other examples of Israel's griping and grousing and complaining and murmuring in disbelief before God during those days of deliverance and then during the time of the wilderness wanderings. That whole unbelieving generation that was led out of Egypt, all adults, 20 years old and older, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, died. They all died during the 38 years of wilderness wandering. You can make a note to yourself if you're taking notes and read about that in Numbers chapter 14, starting at verse 22, going down to verse 30. Here's a final statement of judgment on that generation of unfaithful Israelites. Numbers 14, verse 35. I, the Lord, have spoken. I swear that I will do this to the entire evil community that has conspired against me. They will come to an end in the wilderness, and there they will die. Mm. So Jude brings to mind the belligerent unbelief of the nation of Israel. This is a characteristic of the false teachers that are infiltrating the church. He goes on and tells them to recall the fallen angels' arrogant rebellion there in verse 6. Hopefully you're reading through the Bible this year. I hope that you are. You've probably, if you are doing that, you've probably come to this passage and you too will recall this wicked incident to which Jude draws our attention right here. You can read about it in Genesis 6, verses 1 to 4. Let me read it for you. When mankind began to multiply on the earth, daughters were born to them. Uh, the sons of God saw, the, saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful. And they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, my spirit will not remain, or my spirit will no longer strive and contend with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. 
the Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. This is a fascinating historical marker that Jude brings to mind right here. could spend a whole message just preaching about it. We're just going to kind of give an overview of this for the moment. The arrogant rebellion that he is speaking of here is the arrogant rebellion of fallen angels, as you see mentioned here in Jude, verse 6. And that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 6. It describes how these fallen angels possessed men who then cohabited with women. I want you to think with me for a moment about Satan's plan for defeating God's people in Noah's day. His plan was to entice the godly line of Seth, sons of God, to mix with the ungodly line of Cain, described here in Genesis as the daughters of men, and thus abandon their devotion to the Lord through sexual promiscuity and forbidden marriage. Now, lest anyone think that God is too loving and too merciful to judge the wicked false teachers that Jude is discussing here in his letter, uh, they're deceived. I want us to be sure and mark Jude's words at the end of verse 6. He says, He has kept them, those fallen angels, in eternal chains, in deep darkness, for the judgment on the great day. The great day, the judgment on the great day, refers to the final judgment when all demons and Satan are forever consigned to the lake of fire, a place prepared for them and all the ungodly of all time. Again, back at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 7, very important thing to understand about that incident. It says, when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Uh, the passage here in Jude, in Genesis 6, reminds us that the Lord takes arrogant, rebellious ungodliness very seriously, much more so than we do, I'm afraid. So heinous was the arrogant rebellion of the fallen angels that God has separated them out from Satan's other demonic hordes, and he has already locked them up, so to speak, so that they don't perpetrate such wickedness again. Speaking of this same incident from Genesis chapter 6, Peter emphasizes and amplifies the extent of God's judgment against this type of arrogant sexual rebellion, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. And just like Jude is doing, Peter is reminding his readers that if God did that to those fallen angels, he's going to do the same thing to wicked and false teachers. 
It's interesting, in 2 Peter 2, 4, Peter uses a Greek word for hell. It's the word Tartarus that speaks of a place in the Greek's mind that's lower to them than Hades, lower than hell itself. And they would agree that that's a place where fallen angels and the like would go. The Jews used this term uh, to describe the place, just as we've said, where fallen angels are sent. And for the Jews, it defined for them the lowest hell, the deepest pit, the most terrible place of torture and eternal suffering. It really goes without saying, I suppose, but I'm going to say it anyway. Our generation is not really a whole lot different than what Noah was facing in his day. You and I should not be surprised by the darkness, wickedness, and evil of our times. We live among an entire generation of those who have disregarded God's will, his word, and his character. Indeed, it seems that compromise is the byword and accepted standard even among many within the church. So, no, we should not be surprised by our culture, but neither should we be compromised by it either. That's what Jude is driving at, isn't it? Jude says, recall Israel's belligerent unbelief and recall the fallen angels' arrogant rebellion. And then he says, recall Sodom and Gomorrah's gross sensuality in verse 7. Let me just pause right here. I know it's, these are hard, hard words. And you can see why Jude said, I'd much rather talk about the glories of salvation. Don't you agree? You can see why that. But we have to deliver God's word as it comes to us, dear ones. So Jude says, recall Sodom and Gomorrah's gross sensuality. These notorious cities are well known by both those who are familiar with the Bible and interestingly, even enough, among secular culture as well. The destruction of these twin cities at the southeast corner of the Dead Sea is used over 20 times in the Bible as an illustration of God's just and righteous judgment during the days of Abraham and his nephew Lot. You can read the full account of Gen in Genesis chapter 18, starting at verse 22, going down through chapter 19, verse 29. We won't take the time to read it today. It's a horrible story. Uh, the destruction of a people totally given over to sexual perversion of the vilest sort, including homosexuality, bestiality, and every other form of forbidden sexual engagement imaginable. I find it very interesting that Jude even mentions these twin cities and the surrounding cities of the plain, as they were called. I think it's very interesting that he mentions them. Most of us who are familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah think of them as complete pagans, you know, reprobates, godless heathens. They were. However, I think something far more significant is at play by Jude mentioning Sodom and Gomorrah and their notorious sexual perversion. You see, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain occurred about 450 years after the flood. At the time of their destruction, at least one of Noah's sons, Shem, 
was still living. You can cross-reference that in Genesis 11, verses 10 and 11. And Shem obviously was quite conversant with the events leading up to, including and following the flood. He was there. He was an eyewitness of all of it. Since their demise, that is the demise of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that was only a hundred years after Noah's death. Again, you can cross-reference that in Genesis 9.28. Those people, those people would have known about the message of righteousness and judgment from God that Noah preached about and that was rejected by the world at his time and that the flood came for that very reason. Those people would have known about the incredible and terrible judgment of God against humanity and the creation brought on by the way we just described a few moments ago. The word likewise at the beginning of verse 7 in the CSB points us back to verse 6 where similar sexual sin is in view. The inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns deliberately ignored and rejected the knowledge of God that they possessed and deliberately went on committing sexual immorality and perversions, as Jude says, just, just the same. They fell away from the truth by their own choice and actions. Consequently, the fiery judgment of God against Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities of the plain serve as only a preview and example of the eternal hellfire awaiting the pretenders tormenting Jude's readers with heresy and false doctrine. That is why these Old Testament examples are brought to our recollection, dear ones. It's a sobering word of warning. I would be neglectful if I did not mention how God has clearly, unambiguously condemned the wickedness of sexual immorality, homosexuality, and all other forms of sexual promiscuity outside the bounds of a one-man, one-woman marriage as God has ordained. Dear ones, so common so common in our culture are these perversions that we don't even, as God's people, we don't even feel the wickedness of it anymore, I'm afraid. We don't see it for the unrighteousness that it is. I'm fully aware that there are those today, even within the church, who try to claim that the Bible only calls us to love one another. And since it says to love one another, it doesn't matter what kind of sexual relationship or sexual relationships we have just as long as we love one another. What could possibly be wrong with that? Such flagrant disobedience isn't love. First of all, it's selfish indulgence. Selfish, sensual indulgence. And as our society is proving over and over and over, sexual deviance only leads to a whole list of negative and devastating physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, and societal ills. Here's a sampling, just a sampling, of what the scripture has to say 
on this point. Genesis 19, 4 to 5. Incidentally, speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, <clears throat> before they, that's Lot and his family, went to bed uh, that particular night, the men of the city, Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surrounded the house. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. Remember that God had pronounced judgment on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and because of the intercession of Abraham, God was going to deliver Lot and his family out of those cities before the judgment fell. So he sent two of his angelic uh, representatives to save Lot and his family. And as they came through town, these men saw them. The text goes on. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. And he said, don't do this evil, my brothers. My brothers, really? Lot? Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with the man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. Thanks, Dad. Lot was so blind to the culture around him, he didn't even see the wickedness of his own negotiation with these evil men. He goes on, he says, however, don't do anything to these men because they've come under the protection of my roof, like they needed Lot's roof for protection. Another passage, Leviticus 18, 22 to 25. You are not to sleep with a man as with a woman. It is detestable. You are not to have sexual intercourse with any animal, defiling yourself with it. A woman is not to present herself to an animal to mate with it. It is a perversion. Do not defile yourselves by any of these practices for the nations I am driving out before you have defiled themselves by all these things. The land, the land has become defiled so I am punishing it for its iniquity and the land will vomit out its inhabitants. Well, that's the Old Testament. I've had people say, that's the Old Testament. God's different now. Oh, really? Romans chapter one. Verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. You hear what Romans is describing? It's describing homosexuality. Men and men having sex and women and women having sex. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Have we not seen that in our own culture? Fulfilled before our very eyes. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You can see that Paul is saying that that lifestyle is not compatible with being a follower of Jesus Christ. Is that confusing? 
Is that ambiguous? I think not. 1 Timothy 1, 9-11. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, and males who have sex with males, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which has, was entrusted to me. Again, I have to ask you, is there anything ambiguous about what Paul is saying? That that lifestyle is not compatible with a Christian lifestyle. I belabor the point this morning because of the threat of the LGBTQ plus community and how it poses that threat to the church today. I've said for over 20 years that this, this community will be raised up as the new Caesar to the church. Just as in the first century, Christians were brought forward and said, we can renounce Jesus Christ and declare Caesar is Lord and you'll live. But thank God we had so many brothers and sisters in the first century who said, no, Jesus is Lord. He is supreme and preeminent over all. I will not renounce him. And yes, they lost their lives. This issue, this agenda is being shoved down the church's throat today in our own country. And we are being told, if you do not comply, you will pay a price. Like I said, I would much rather talk about other things, but here it is. This agenda has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ in America, and it has sown its seeds of wickedness among the people of God and is doing untold damage to countless souls. Individual Christians in the church as a whole face the same temptations challenging the people in the Old Testament. The devil's up to his same old tricks. Temptation. Become friendly with the world. James 4.4, 4, the you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of God, excuse me, the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Temptation. Oh, fall in love with the world. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do you not know the world? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Temptation. Conform to the world. Let the world press you into its mold. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Temptation. When uh, we should be separated from the world, the, the world is calling you, no, no, no. Stay with us. Unify with us. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 17. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ 
have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God, your body, have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch an unclean thing, and I will welcome you. Being compromised in the way that we've just read about from these examples that James has brought to us can lead to being condemned with the world if we don't make, make it our business and make up our minds to once and for all live as holy people. 2 Corinthians 11.32 if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. As Jude calls us, you and me, all of us, to contend for the faith, he sounds an alarm to know the enemy of God's people and his church by recalling the example of past ungodliness. He does this so that we can avoid the same tragic mistakes. And then Jude goes on to help us see present ungodliness exposed in verses 8 to 11. He begins with an ancient illustration there in verses 8 to 10. Verse 8 sets that up. He says, these people, that's the false heretical teachers who are infiltrating the church. They're referred to here. Uh, in verse 8, these people, and five more times with the same designation. You see that there in verse, in verse 10, these people, and in verse 12, these people, verse 14, uh, it was about these, uh, in verse 16, these people, verse 19, these people, it's a refrain as Jude exposes these individuals says that they're relying on their dreams. Pastor John MacArthur on this verse says this, uh, this refers to a confused state of the soul or ab abnormal imagination producing delusions and sensual confusion. These men's minds were numb to the truth of God's word so that being beguiled and deluded, they fantasized Wicked perversions, being blind and deaf to reality and truth. Perhaps they falsely claimed that these were dreams and visions from God. Again, I need to remind you that Jude is talking about people who have infiltrated the church. He says that they defile their flesh. Jude harkens back to his previous paragraph, doesn't he? Where he recalled the fallen angels who possessed uh, Seth's descendants and led them into their sexual promiscuousness. And also the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah who were sexually perverted. And if you've noticed, in our country, in our current day, false teachers uh, have few, if any, moral restraints and too often are characterized by immoral lifestyles. And unfortunately, we have seen many men who claim to be heralds of God's truth fall in this area. He says that they reject authority. Again, like the arrogant, rebellious angels that we read about in verse 6, the false teachers, these pretenders, they reject all civil and spiritual authority. Consequently, they are rejecting the Holy Scripture and denying Christ. As Jude said up in verse 4, it says that they slander 
glorious ones. Slander, of course, is defamation, character assassination, a false statement that damages the reputation of someone. And in this case, it's the defaming and falsely representing the angelic realm. Perhaps now you see why I have worded my second point of the message present. Ungodliness exposed. Just like in Jude's day, we have false heretical teachers and preachers infiltrating the church with this same characterization. Scribe modern day heretics. We'll talk more about that actually next week. And there in verse 9, we come across a very interesting thing the dispute between the devil and Michael the archangel. I want you to notice the two persons that are mentioned here in verse 9. First, Michael the archangel. The Bible informs us that he is the chief angel of God who especially watches over Israel. We learned that in our study of Daniel. And he leads the holy angels in glory. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 12. And then we come across the scoundrel, the devil. This word devil is another name for Satan, and it means accuser or slanderer. Now, to be honest with you, the, the death of Moses is shrouded in mystery. We do know that Moses died on Mount Nebo in Moab, never entering the promised land. We also know that he was secretly buried in a place that nobody knows about. Nowhere else in Scripture is this conflict over the body of Moses mentioned. We do know that Michael had to contend with Satan in order to fulfill God's directives in other places. We saw that again in, back in Daniel chapter 10. This confrontation that Jude mentions may have taken place as Michael buried Moses' body to keep the devil from using Moses' body for some diabolical, unholy purpose. Some have suggested that Satan may have wanted to use Moses' body as an idol and an object of worship for Israel. If you know anything about the nation of Israel and their relationship to Moses, they hold him in the absolute highest regard. So you could see something that is plausible. The suggestion is that God sent Michael to prevent that from happening and to be certain that the body was buried the way God intended. Now, a word right here. Jude appears to be quoting from a non-canonical source. It's the pseudepigraphal book, Assumption of Moses. And I don't want that to be a problem or a concern to any of you. There are other places in the New Testament where biblical authors quote other secular sources. And these quotes are not a tacit endorsement of those uh, sources as inspired or authoritative. They're simply cited as examples and illustrations, just as Jude is doing here. Jude's point, though, is clear. Rather than personally, slanderously condemning the devil, who is a powerful angelic enemy, Michael deferred to the ultimate sovereign power of God, following an example of another angel you can read about in Zechariah 3, 1-2, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, by the way. So this is a supreme illustration of how Christ followers should deal with the devil and his demonic forces. Believers are not to address them, but rather invoke the authoritative power of the Lord Jesus' name against them. 
We don't ever come against the powers of darkness in our own strength, not unless we're foolish, but only in the power of Jesus Christ. That's precisely why Jude goes on to further characterize these people, the counterfeit teachers, as blasphemers, as you see in verse 10. The counterfeit spiritual pretenders are audacious and daring. They are infatuated with themselves and imagine they are endowed and entitled to power and authority within and over the church of Jesus Christ and the people of God. They speak against the things of God and his people. Like Jude says, they don't even realize the error of their thinking. They just go on believing their own ideas, their own opinions, and their own perspectives. They can't be. Maybe a better way to put it is that they won't be corrected. John MacArthur again. These heretical false teachers are intellectually arrogant and spiritually ignorant in that they don't know because they are blinded by Satan and spiritual matters are beyond their unregenerate uh, capacity to understand. This speaks of spiritual and moral self-destruction. Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary on these verses, says, if they don't understand something specific doctrine or prescribed practices for and within the Lord Jesus' church, they criticize it. They only accept the things that they can grasp with their fleshly minds. They are like irrational animals, unable to judge or to control their appetites. Ironically, it is by these things that they're destroyed. To emphasize his point, Jude draws terrifying comparisons between the present-day counterfeit teachers and three more Old Testament defectors. Notice these three tragic characterizations he refers to in verse 11. He speaks of the way of Cain. The way of Cain. It's self-sufficient disobedience. Like self-sufficient Cain who tried to offer God the fruit of human works rather than obey in faith, the false teachers believe, oh, they know best. Cain openly rebelled against God's revealed will regarding sacrifice, and this rebellious mindset marks the false teachers that Jude is confronting. What a terrible mistake they made. And then he speaks of Balaam's error. Balaam's error is immoral ministry, I'll put that word in quotes, for mere profit. You can review and read the bizarre antics of Balaam in Numbers chapters 22 to 25. The bottom line of that is that for a large financial reward, Balaam devised a plan for Balak, the king of Moab, to entice Israel into into a compromising situation with idolatry and immorality, which he knew would bring God's judgment on the people of Israel. So like greedy Balaam, the false teachers sell their heresy for profit. And then Jude mentions Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion is defiance against God's appointed authority. Korah was a man, along with 250 other Jewish leaders, 
who rejected the God-appointed leadership of Moses and Aaron in an attempt, ridiculously, to, to impose his own will on God in the nation of Israel. A defining mark. A defining mark of counterfeits within the church is that like greedy, rebellious Korah, they, def they defy the authority of God's chosen vessels of truth. Christ himself, uh, the teaching of the apostles, and the local leaders of Christ's church. In each case, like Cain, Balaam, and Korah, the false teachers were unquestionably and undoubtedly face, they're going to face the same terrible destiny those men from history did. Divine judgment. He says, woe to them. It's a sobering, sobering word. You see, no matter how reasonable their words or winsome their ways, these apostates, these, these defectors, these deserters, these traitors are dramatically opposed to Christ, his, his church, and his people. Instead of the way of Christ, theirs is the way of Cain. Instead of the truth of Christ... Theirs is the error of Balaam. Instead of the life of Christ, theirs is the demise of Korah. I hope they remember the, the big idea today. Aim at nothing. You'll hit it every time. Our knowledge and awareness of the past helps us understand and discern the present and prepare and equip us for the future. That's what Jude is trying to get through to his readers and to us, dear ones. Uh, there was an English and history teacher from Concord, New Hampshire, who's reported some of the responses that he's received over the years from some of his students students ranging in age from the 8th grade all the way through college freshmen, their responses regarding biblical and Western history are interesting. One student said, history calls people Romans because they never stayed in one place for very long. At Roman banquets, the guests wore garlics in their hair. Joan of Arc, another student wrote, was canonized by Bernard Shaw. Another one wrote, in 1658, the pilgrims crossed the ocean, and this was known as Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> one student, the Bible is full of interesting caricature, caricatures. In the first book of the Bible, uh, Guinnesses, Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. Hmm. Yeah, aim at nothing. You'll hit it every time. Know your history so you can understand the present and be prepared for the future. Then you will know your enemy and be able to contend for the faith. Let's pray. And so, dear Father, today...
As we hear these words from Jude, they hit us hard. We have to admit that. And again, Lord, you know I resonate with Jude's statement. I would be much more eager to speak and to preach and teach about the salvation that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's just so wonderful. It's so glorious. But Lord, you have impressed it upon my heart that this is a necessary thing to teach. And so I appeal to my true brothers and sisters in Christ here at Whitneyville and those watching via our live stream that we would be willing to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. Lord, when we read this part of Jude's letter, we understand why it's so important, so important for us to know your word, to read it and to be familiar with it and to not just read these stories and turn the page and go on, but as the Apostle Paul told the believers in Corinth, these things are written to us as an example so that we don't make those same mistakes. Lord, I pray for anybody who is here in the worship center today who is here under false pretenses, who really isn't a believer. I mean, they come and they, they, they make a show of it. Lord, without apology, I ask that you would use these words to serve as a warning to them. I don't say that with a spirit of condemnation or trying to be mean-spirited. I, I just feel it's my obligation as a preacher of the word to say that. Pray for everyone who's here. If they don't know you, Lord, Lord Jesus, the Savior and Lord, that they would forsake these wicked ways that we've read about that they would not try to come within the fellowship of Whitneyville Bible Church and try to persuade us or teach us that the things of your word aren't so. And would you help those of us who do know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior and Lord, to be committed to, in fact, know your word. To know it so well that any hint of heresy or false doctrine or immoral living or unholiness would just be so obvious to us and we would be repelled by it. We can see, Lord, by what we read here that eternity is at stake. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have saved us and by your grace and power and mercy and love, you continue to save us, you sustain us. And when we fall, as we all do, you are there to, to pick us up and to hold us up. O Lamb of God, we worship you today. And we declare with boldness that you are, the, you are all in all, you are my all in all. And as a fellowship of believers at Whitneyville Bible Church, you are our all in all. We gladly worship you and we submit to you knowing that you will keep us strong till the great day. In your name we pray and praise. Amen.
Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, but to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen.